impression check check one two good morning everybody this is bold perceptions coming at you live from a little bit of everywhere coming at you live from tampa florida coming at you live from copenhagen and coming at you live from st louis missouri with our special guest today jeremy salvatore i know he sounds like he probably should be an oscar winning um person but you know he hasn't made it into the acting industry quite yet this is real very real Speaking of real, uh, he's in the commercial real estate industry. He's also an attorney. He has a whole lot of knowledge to give everyone here today. How about you introduce yourself right quick, Jeremy? Hi, my name is Jeremy Salvatore. I uh, commercial real estate uh, investor and property manager have been for about the last eight, nine years. Uh, was uh, had a law license since uh, 2006. So went from being a real estate attorney uh, to investing and managing uh, commercial property, um, and I'm happy to be on the show. Yeah, Jeremy, we're really happy to, to have you. We have um, similar interest in business since I've been in the, the real estate too. But uh, Heem, how about you kind of say how you, you met Jeremy? It's a pretty cool story. Yeah, it's actually a really cool story, man. Is again, kind of like we talk about in every single show, Rooney, how life just works and doors are constantly opening up for everyone, every single one of us, you know. Um, so as some of you listeners know, I work with LA Fitness. And one afternoon, a lady came in who happened to be Jeremy's wife. Her and their daughter came in and, you know, they just got down to the area and they were looking for a gym membership. Well, who better to come to for a gym membership than Mr. Cruz, right? And, you know, when I'm quote unquote selling memberships, even though I don't ever feel like I'm selling, I feel like I'm always providing uh, the individual with something. But I don't I don't know what to provide for that individual if I don't get to know that person a little bit. You know, it's can't treat everybody equal. Got to treat everyone equally unique. Everyone's different. So, of course, I have to get to know you. And as I started to get to know her. Um, you know, she she had a lot to say, a lot of she was giving me a lot of value, had an incredible story, spoke very highly of Jeremy. And as I'm talking to her and I'm learning all of these things, I'm like, hey, can I like let you know a little bit about myself right quick? You know, and I let her know about some of my aspirations and what I do outside of L.A. Fitness, this being one of them. And I thought it would be an incredible opportunity to. Um, at the time I said, I want to interview you and your husband, you know, and she's like, oh, no, 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 I, I don't think I'd be that good for that. Uh, I still think she would be. But, um, she, you know, she spoke very highly of you, Jeremy. And I was just hoping that you'd give me that phone call, which you ended up doing. And after we spoke on the phone, I, I, I went back, I raved to Nick about the opportunity that we're about to have here. We have today. And it's kind of how we got to where we're at. Yeah, so let's get into this thing. And um, real estate investments kind of a, a big thing. Everyone thinks it's you get the checks in the mail, like you said, Jeremy, before we start recording. And but there's a lot more that goes into real estate and making money through it. And you've been, you've seen the nuts and bolts. You've done it. You've been very successful. Can can you give the listeners kind of an idea of what it's like to invest in real estate? Um. Yeah. So. You know, a lot of people start with uh, with the residential. They start with a house. They start with their own house. Um, my experience, you know, I've bought obviously single family homes before, but the bulk of my experience has been in commercial. So currently, got uh, mixed use commercial building that's five hundred fifty thousand square feet. Um, just for a sense of scale, that's a little over uh, eleven acres of actual building floor space. Um, along with a large parking garage. Um, we'll talk about parking garages later. Those are actually very, very profitable uh, little businesses, the, the parking garages, uh, along with 130 plus uh, apartment units um, that also have retail on the, the first floor, uh, including restaurants, uh, Starbucks being one of the, the, the customers. They're, uh, they're actually kind of difficult to deal with, but but it's interesting. You find out as you work with these uh, with these companies, you find out uh, what they're like behind the scenes, behind uh, behind the public perception that, that you have of them. Uh, so yeah, that's that's what I've been doing right now. And before that, I practiced law, uh, real estate law, for about uh, eight years. Um, got to see the other side of real estate investment, uh, which is uh, the real uh, nuts and bolts of it, and especially what can go wrong. Uh, which is is good to see and good to know, uh, especially when you're in for a long time, uh, you know, the ups and downs of the marketplace. 
Yeah. So, Jeremy, let's get right into it. How do you manage all these properties, these businesses, these people? I mean, it, we talked about Grant Cardone and, and he shows the Bentley and all this stuff and you just get money in the mail. But there's a lot more to it if you want to be successful, isn't there? Oh, absolutely. So the large commercial property I'm at every single day, um, pretty much a full time job. Uh, I have uh, five employees there. Um, we pretty much handle everything. I mean, I will tour prospective tenants through. I will work on the leases. Um, I will be involved in, uh, you know, everything from getting people's security badges updated to um, deciding, you know, what kinds of new improvements are being built in the building and working with the general contractors and working with plumbers and HVAC people and all the rest. Um, the apartment building, we do have a on-site manager there, but I'm still down there, you know, once a week or so. Just there's always something with real estate. Um, it is a it is a piece of property that needs uh, care and management. And there's always, I said, there's always something to do. There's always new leases coming up. You're, so it's constant negotiation. It's constant sales. So if you're some someone who's good at sales, there's definitely a, a place uh, in real estate for you. Um, not just on the leasing side, but on the uh, on the management side as well. You know, Jeremy, I think you just said something that's really interesting to me because, you know, now that I've graduated from college, you know, I've asked a lot of my fellow colleagues, so, hey, what is it that you plan on doing in the future? And they'll be like, man, you know, I think I'm going to go work at this firm and I may even do real estate on the side. And I really it kind of irks me every time someone says they're going to do real estate on the side because they make it sound like it's a part-time job. But as you just said, this is, there's always something to do. And if there's always something to do, that would make it pretty full time if you ask me, man. So, you know, what's like a, what's like an estimated amount of hours that you would say you put into your business businesses every week? Uh, well, more than 40. Um, so, it, it is possible to do it, quote unquote, on the side while you have another business, but you're going to have to work all the time. Uh, my grandfather started investing in real estate in St. Louis back in the 1940s after he got back from World War II. And he was also a, a lawyer and he had a, a full time job as a lawyer. And then he also uh, purchased real estate, mostly apartment buildings and uh, and some uh, some commercial uh, retail um, shopping malls, things like that. He always worked. He worked seven days a week. Um, I would visit him uh, down in Florida on vacation, and he would be on the phone getting FedExes, getting faxes, back when people still did faxes, all the time. I mean, he was always working, and that's that's what it takes. So if you want to have a full-time job and do serious real estate, you know, you're going to work 80-hour weeks. 100%, Jeremy. Now, what does it take to be a successful investor in real estate? And then second question, how do you think people can get their foot in the door and start um, building their own empire like you did? Well, so part of success is going to be timing. I mean, I'll be 100% honest. Um, there's a saying, sometimes it's better to be lucky than, uh, than smart. So timing is a huge thing. Uh, if you got into real estate in 2006, you could be real smart and you still got you still got beat up. If you got into real estate in 2010, 2011, after the crash, you've done real well, even if you didn't really know what you're doing. Right now, we're kind of in a, a high, right? Real estate's been going up for seven, eight, eight nine years. Um, you're going to have to know what you're doing if you're buying now because prices are high. You know, the cap rates are very low and we can go into what, what a cap rate is and how that works. Um, but cap rates are low, prices are high. Uh, so really what do you need to do? You need to, you need to learn everything about it. You need to understand uh, how the money is made, um, where your expenses are, where your costs are, where revenue comes from, who your tenants are. Are your tenants retail businesses? Are they retail businesses that Amazon's going to put out of business? Are there retail businesses that, um, are resistant to online and e-commerce uh, e and Amazon? Uh, are there is in the terms of uh, apartments, do you have good job growth in your area? Uh, will people be able to afford your apartment? Do you know what, you know, do you know what your rent should be relative to their income? 
I mean, there's, sim there's simple ratios there. A lot of people don't even know that. Like, can people in your area afford $2,000 a month rent? Can they afford $1,500? What, what's the right price point? You know, should you have one bedroom, two bedroom, or three bedroom apartments? Big difference there, right? Three bedrooms, that's a lot more families. Um, in college towns, that can mean that you have <clears throat> multiple roommates. So just, I hate to say it, but you, you've got to know, you got to know everything. You, you really have to, you, you've got to know it. It's just like any other business. You, you have to understand it from beginning to end. Jeremy, so study your market, study where you want to go into, um, do you find a mentor? Do you go to real estate agents? Do you read books? Um, I mean, think of you, how you start off. You obviously, it's been a family business, but is the first step obviously studying what's going on, but then yeah. how do you, how do you learn more? Okay. So if I was talking to someone who was in their early twenties and they said, I want to get involved, probably the first thing I would do is tell them, get your real estate license especially if you're good at sales. If you're, if you're good at talking with people, someone like Brahim, you know, who can just go and talk to anybody, um, definitely get your real estate license and you're going to learn a lot there. Now, typically you'll start in residential, um, but I would very quickly then go and try to get into commercial brokerage because you're going to learn a lot about the industry. You're going to learn about contracts. You're going to learn about the market. You're going to learn about, um, yeah, you're going to learn about all your local properties. You're going to know your market really well. Uh, and you'll be doing that on someone else's, uh, I mean, you'll be being paid to learn, um, which after many years of going to college and, and having to pay to learn is, is a very welcome thing, right, to get paid to learn. The other path is on the property management side. There's a couple of organizations. One's BOMA, uh, Building Owners and Managers Association. The other is IREM, Institute of Real Estate Management, and they have classes and certifications in property management. Um, they're not super expensive. I mean, they're, they're cheaper than going to college, and you can take those classes online, and then you, know, you go and you take a test at a computer testing center, and you get these certifications. Those certifications will then help you get a job working in property management, and that's when you're really going to learn the, the guts and the 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 day in day out nuts and bolts of 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 managing the properties and you know how to deal with your contractors and how to deal with tenants and insurance and all the nuts and bolts that um, isn't sexy and isn't Instagram worthy but it, it's what it takes. Man, I like that man. It's not sexy. It's not Instagram worthy, but it's what it takes. And it's a lot of that. What happens behind the scenes? You know, um, you know, at face value, people may just see you or hear you for someone who's very successful in the real estate industry, um, but they don't know all the time that you put in to get to where you're at. And nothing was just handed to you, man. You have an economics major, okay? And as you mentioned as well, you also have you, you went to law school, man, and that has really helped prepare you for just about every situation that you could probably possibly encounter at least at the beginning stages of your real estate career but you know as you continue to propel in your career you, that means you're moving up and the more you move up the less you know because you've never been there before so how do you keep yourself you know present and ahead of the curve and how do you continue to learn man so that's a that's a really good point because what happens is as you learn more and progress more you learn more of what you don't know. Um, there is a, what's the analogy they say? As, you, as your island of knowledge grows, the shoreline of ignorance also grows. So when you start out, you don't even know what you don't know. Okay, as you start learning more, you start figuring out, oh man, I don't, I don't understand about this. I don't understand about that. Uh, so I think what, what you have to do is really just balance um, the, you have to, you have to find a balance between saying, yeah, I've really come far and I've, I've learned a lot and have confidence in yourself to keep going, but also realize there's more to learn. Now, so I'm on a more practical note, as you ascend in business, you do have to start delegating more. Um, you sort of end up picking the area that you're most specialized in. So if you're, like I said, if you're really great at sales, you may stay more on the the fundraising side, and then you'll get a, maybe a partner who's good at picking out properties and doing the financial projections on the properties. And then you may get another 
person involved who's more on the operations side, whether that's a partner, an employee. So, you know, as you as you get better, or I say as you get higher up in the uh, in the field, you'll pick your specialty mostly based on like your personality, the type of personality you have, and what fits best with it. Some people are real nose to the ground operations guys. Some people are. You know, like I said, great at talking to people, great at sales. They can, you know, go out to a cocktail party and, you know, come back with a bunch of checks from investors. Um, so you just got to find like what works, what works with your personality. And you know where you, you kind of know who you are. Jeremy, those great points on um, the delegating. Now, obviously, with all the property you own, all the businesses that, that are underneath that, how do you go about delegating? Because it's a, it's a huge skill. You got to be able to trust people. You can't be everywhere at every second. Um, it's an important thing, you know, focus on what you're good at. Um, how do you go about that process? So on the, uh, on the delegation side, the first thing is you've got to know enough about the subject that you're delegating to be able to know if the person you're hiring really knows what they're talking about and really knows what they're doing and being able to check on them. You don't have to be an expert, but you've got to know enough. So that's why, um, you know, on the property side, like you got to know a little bit about each of your trades about, you know, you got to know a little bit about HVAC. You got to know something about the roofing. So you got to know something about each of these topics and then you can judge whether these people are good. So there's a combination of, you got to be able to judge the technical skill and then you also obviously need to judge work ethic and character and uh, trustworthiness, which is something, you know, that's a skill you develop with life. Some people are have a great sense of other people and, um, and, and you know, almost like human lie detectors. <laughs> uh, other times you just have to learn it over time. Uh, you know, life experience, you, you, you deal with a whole lot of people during your life and you, you figure out like how you can, how you know if someone's trustworthy or not. Uh, and then in terms of delegating and checking up on them, it's really a matter of just staying on top of everything. It, it, I know you. everybody wants shortcuts. There really is no shortcut. You just gotta constantly be checking up on everything. Even after you delegate, you have to make sure they do their job because nobody cares as much about your investment and your money as you do. Even if you get good people, even if you get trustworthy people, you still have to just constantly follow up. I think that's the biggest thing I learned um, in business over the last 20 plus years was you can't follow up too much. Okay. You can't follow up too much, but I also believe at least that you got to find that, that word. I like balance. Um, you don't you don't ever want to necessarily micromanage someone all the time either, um, or at least all the time. It'll probably be, probably be very difficult for you to just micromanage everyone that um, all of your subordinates, yeah. right? So um, I kind of want to get back to that that word balance there, because um, obviously you have your professional life, you have a family, so you have a family life as well, and then you have your life outside of your professional life and your family life, your, your social life. I'm going to assume that you have a social life. How do you kind of make time for everything? Uh, I think the way you make time, well, actually, can I go back really quickly to micromanaging versus following up just because I think a lot of people think it's an either or issue. So when you delegate, you want to give them the outcome you're looking for. So micromanaging is when you manage or micromanaging is when you specify like every single detailed step and try to tell them, you know, go do this, this, this. In delegation, you tell them, here's the outcome I want. Here's the result I want. I'm going to give you some free reign on exactly the method you use to get to that result, but here's what I want. And then you check up to see if they're, if they're getting you the results they want. So it's not so much that you're hanging over their shoulder 24 hours a day because then you might as well do it yourself, right? If you're just gonna hang over their shoulder. But what you're doing is you're telling them like, here's the outcome I want, here's how it fits into my overall goal, go and figure out the best way to do it. That's why I hired you because you are smart and you are creative and, and you can figure out a way of accomplishing uh, that goal. Um, so yeah, I just, I don't wanna encourage people to micromanage because it becomes impossible once you get 
too many things happening in life. You, you just can't do it. You're doing the work of 10 people and just not possible. Um, in terms of balance uh, and how to make time for everything, the first thing I would say is decide what you want to make time for and just schedule it in. Like a lot of times when people make schedules, they schedule all their interruptions. Oh, I got a meeting at this. I got to, to go here. I found, and, and I found this actually back in high school studying for exams was I would schedule out like from 10 a.m. to noon, I'm studying, you know, for my history final from noon to 2.30, I'm studying this, you know, doing problem sets for physics, whatever. And that's what you do in your life. So if, if say for you, fitness is important, right? Um, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So I have on my schedule, you know, Tuesday night, jiu-jitsu, Wednesday night, you know, open mat sparring, Saturday from, you know, 10 to, to 2, I do, you know, uh, drills and open mat. So that's all my schedule. And if someone wants to do something in business at that time, it's like, sorry, I'm not available. Uh, you, you've got to schedule out and block your time for your social uh, life and life outside of work, just like you would your, your work time. And, and that works well. And people respect it, too. It's like, oh, OK, you're not available then. How about afterwards? That's a big thing with the, the respect um, part. My father used to be going nonstop, and then he said, hey, what's most important? He talked about uh, our sporting events, my, mine and my sister's, and he ended up realizing the clients like him more. They're like, oh, wow, he's a family. You know, he's got priority straight, and that worked out uh, big time for him. But, Jeremy, um, we kind of talked about education and, and learning. Um, you're a, a lawyer, too. Now, before we get into that, what do you think of – do, do realtors, if you want to get into real estate, could you get into it right out of high school, say, get your license, go find a mentor, work for them, learn, or do you need to go get a college education, get in that debt? You do not necessarily have to get a college education. Um, you could go right out of high school and get your uh, real estate license. And if you're good at sales and you learn you know, how to market, um, these days it's mostly online marketing uh, with real estate, how to get leads. And if you're good at closing sales and talking to people, you can do really well. I mean, you can do really well. I mean, I'm, I'm not that kind of person, really. Uh, I'm more of a sort of academic book, bookish person. Uh, that's just sort of, sort of who I am. So more schooling came easier to me. But I've seen how well people who are really good at, at sales can skip a lot of that extra schooling uh, and go right into the sort of quote unquote real world and and start uh, making money and start uh, selling and doing really well and learning on the job. Um, and like I said, the, the thing about learning on the job is you're getting paid to learn, which is far better than being saddled with student loans, which is a, a huge problem for uh, for your guys uh, generation. I mean, college was expensive for me, but it's it's outrageous um, for you guys. Hey, so right before we start kind of moving forward um, with this podcast, and I, I want to say something because uh, a lot, like pretty much every single day I work, I work six days out of the week. Today's my day off. And every day I usually come across a kid who's either about to graduate high school or he's currently in college or thinking about going to college. And a lot of times I'll be like, hey, man, so uh, why do you go to school? And they'll, they'll say, oh, you know, I go to school for business administration. I said, no, no, I didn't ask, what do you go to school for? I asked you why you go to school. Because what, what's your purpose behind it? You know, we're talking about getting a piece of paper, uh, just going to school, like for what, you know? And I don't, I, I came up with this theory my junior year of college, and I really live by it and believe it. Some people go to college and they let college use them. And then other people go to college and they use college. You know, if you just go to school and go through the rituals day by day, uh, as you kind of said, you know, uh, people scheduling their, make, making their schedule around their interruptions, such as class and such as studying, it's like, hey, obviously you have to do all of that. But what else are you doing? Are you getting involved? Are, are you meeting people? Because that's how you kind of begin to build your pipeline. You know, in college, in my opinion, you you need to start meeting people then and then obviously learn across the way, because 
you know, everyone loves to say it's all about who you know. Well, that, that's like halfway right. It is about who you know. But then once that person that you, that you know gets you into a position, it's about what you know when you get there. So it's about who you know and what you know, man. Um, so, you know, I just kind of want to get in with you. Uh, let me see here. You said or you mentioned to me that you graduated in 1999 from Amherst College. Did I pronounce that right? Uh, yes, you did. Yeah, it's up in Massachusetts. Oh, okay, okay. That's in Massachusetts. Awesome. So, how did you kind of, you know, you're from St. Louis. You're from the Lou, man. That's uh, that's a rough area. I thought I was from a rough area. You're from you're from a rough spot, man. How'd you get from St. Louis to Massachusetts? Well, um, at the time, you know, back then in uh, in 1995, you know, people weren't thinking about hey, do I really need college like they are today? Um, you know, when I was in high school, I went to a prep school. It was all, hey, what's the best college you can get into? And by best, it meant highest ranked. I, I had good grades. I had good test scores, uh, kind of a, like I said, academic person. So I basically looked at U.S. News Unrolled Report and said, hey, what's the highest ranked school that I can get accepted in? I visited some schools, so I, you know, it was, uh, it was there, Northwestern up in Chicago, U.S. Chicago, uh, WashU in St. Louis, but I, I really wanted to leave, leave home and, and go away to school, wanted that experience, so you know, I got into Amherst, and, um, you know, I liked it. it was a small school. It's only 400 students per class, so it's tiny, um, so it's not UMass Amherst, so UMass Amherst is huge. That's a state school that's right next to us, um, but Amherst College is only... 1600 kids total in the whole whole college so it's like a high school size which had its pluses and minuses uh and then from there worked for a few years and then went to law school after that oh wow i uh, thought my microphone was muted in the first place all right so i really like what you just said right there you and it, and it kind of says a lot about where you're at now jeremy um you've had incredible success within your industry but this should be no surprise to any of us right here or any of the listeners because as just a young boy in high school you set your sights very high right away you wanted to get into one of the best schools in the nation period if you were eligible for it that's where you wanted to go now you went there you got an economics major so that's great now you had that gap you said you worked after your um, undergrad and then you ended up going to law school what was it that you know while you were working why did why did you choose to go to law school so yeah i had a, a kind of a weird turn so most people when they go to law school they go right out of college, you know, probably 80, 90%. Um, so I was one of the more unusual students that had had worked and had some uh, some real life experience. So right out of college, I worked for investment advisory firm for high net worth individuals uh, here in St. Louis. Um, what was really interesting about that job? Well, first of all, it was in 99 and 2000. So it was right during the dot com crash. I got to see that firsthand. Uh, which was interesting to to be involved in finance at that time. Uh, that was a that was a huge that was a huge deal back then. Um, it was um, it was pretty devastating for some people. Actually, our firm went our firm actually did pretty well because we were very conservative and weren't super heavy in the tech stocks. But I watched a lot of people get really badly hurt in two thousand and then in two thousand one uh, after nine eleven. Um, and then I got into the uh, online video production business in early 2001, uh, company with my brother. That hey, Jeremy, before we before we get into that, can you mm -hmm. speak on um, when that crash happened and the people that made it out and became more successful? What? How did they go about it? Dealing with that adversity. So yeah, so. Yeah, so there, like I said, there were a lot of people that got hurt real bad in 2000, and then obviously again that that happened in the real estate market in 2008. There are certain people, and I, I don't think it's a personality type, and and maybe it's something that can be learned as well, who are just resilient. Like they get hit, they get beat down, and they don't let it affect their self worth. They don't let it affect. Um, some people they get they 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 get a setback, and they just they take it so personal, and they think, well, I'm not worthy. 
So I'm just going to go like hide under a rock somewhere and they just don't come back. Other people, they, they have something happen to them and they just realize, you know, there are bad markets. Yes, you probably made some mistakes too, but that doesn't mean that you can't come back. And so it's really just a matter of you got to have some confidence in yourself. Yeah, you made some mistakes. A lot of people made mistakes. A lot of people get hurt when these things happen. And you just have to be willing to pick yourself up and not beat yourself down. I think some people, they just have like a self-talk that they would never tolerate somebody else talking to them that way. They would never talk to somebody else that way, but they talk to themselves just just really negatively. Um, so yeah, it, it, that that's probably the, the biggest thing is it's it's mental at that point. Man, that what you just said right there really hit hit me and Nick. I'm looking at Rooney and I know that hit him right there, man. And you the way you talk to yourself sometimes like you would never let anyone else ever speak to you that way. So how can you speak to yourself in that own manner? And uh, this morning, you know, I went and got my workout in at our, the gym here at our apartment complex. And I just did a little 25 minutes on the treadmill. But while I was running, I, I don't listen to music anymore when I work out. I kind of cut that out about four or five months ago. And uh, these days I like to listen to either nothing or a podcast, some type of motivational speaker. And I really like to listen to ET, the hip hop preacher. Now this guy said something this morning that uh, really hit me. And we've kind of already touched on it a couple of times here on this uh, show. And you touched on it first, where you said really dialing into your craft practically, you know, instead of trying to be, you know, really great at a whole bunch of things, it's just like really dialing into one, because as you get into the business, you have to figure out what it is um, that you're, you're most special at. So investing as many hours essentially into that and becoming the best. Now, where I'm getting to with this is ET made a comment. He said the, the problem with some people is that they don't hold themselves accountable or the people that they love accountable to just the average Joe. For instance, you know, uh, you may have a child that, you know, if someone else's child were to come into your home and started jumping on your couch and just kind of, you know, making the house a mess, you would feel disrespected by that. You, you would, you would speak out to them. Right. But if your own child were to do the same thing, you may not hold them to the same fire because, oh, well, that's my baby, you know, and, and you kind of have to, and you also have to hold yourself to that same fire. So I think that kind of wraps back around into what you just said about, you would never let anyone else speak to you that way. Why speak to yourself that way, you know? So it's that every time you break down, you got to have that mental breakthrough, right? <clears throat> well, it's just funny because Everyone we talk to that's successful talks about the same similar mindset stuff. I mean, you got to be positive. You got to think clear. And you got to, like you said, be resilient and believe in yourself. Because if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. But, <clears throat> Jeremy, we're just about to get into uh, a YouTube channel, content creation. That's uh, pretty fascinating. It relates uh, to us, you know, creating a podcast and being creators. Uh, you want to kind of get into that? Yeah, so right after uh... – I stopped working at the investment advisory firm. I started up with uh, a company with my brother uh, here in St. Louis called, uh, well, it was, the, it was Jumby Bay Studios, was the video production side. And then later on, it became the uh, YouTube channel, vat19.com, uh, which, which is a pretty big channel right now. Now, I, I got to be honest and not over promote my own role in that like all the growth of that channel happened after i after i left the company and went to law school but it's a big channel now it's over six million subscribers um and that one um yeah that was yeah that was an interesting uh, experience i learned a lot about technology about selling online especially in the early days uh, we were doing some uh, some e-commerce back then so learning about technology really helped me as I went actually into the real estate, because a lot of my tenants currently in commercial real estate are um, high-tech uh, data center companies, basically the the infrastructure of the internet. So knowing technology helped me be able to to talk the talk with with uh, my tenants, with their employees. Um, it actually helped me a lot in being able to negotiate with these companies uh, the lease renewals because I knew enough about their business to. 
um, know whether they were bluffing or not bluffing in lease negotiations. And, and that made big difference, you know, multi-million dollar differences in, in lease renewals by understanding the technology. Uh, so that experience helped a lot. Um, that's amazing. Scott Adams talks about this a lot. It's called skill stacking. Scott Adams is a famous cartoonist, Dilbert. And uh, you're shaking your head. Like, you heard of Scott Adams? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I have his book on skill stacking. How to fail almost everything and still win big. Yes. Yep. That's, that's my favorite book of all time, but that skill stacking is so important. Like he wasn't the best drawer, wasn't the funniest guy, writer, all that, but he was good at each one of them. And then he put them together and it became freaking Dilbert. But we need to do a podcast on skill stacking because it's amazing. But Hey, Jeremy, I'm fascinating fascinated with the, the startup of the YouTube channel and it's kind of a funky idea. You know, they do crazy stuff. And how was that process putting you guys yourself out there and, you know, doing something like people probably thought you were crazy. They didn't know YouTube was going to be freaking huge now and, and make all this money. So how would you have the, the idea and go about put, do, going and getting it? You know what I mean, well, it started out because uh, we had done commercials for, for other people. So that, that was, was what we did. We hired out the studio and the, uh, you know, camera operators and editors to do commercials for other people. What happened in St. Louis was uh, the market was was declining. A lot of the big ad agencies were moving out of St. Louis. They were going to Chicago. They're going to Dallas, New York. Um, so basically had the idea, well, what if we made commercials for ourselves and sold our own products and just made them interesting? And it, it started out before YouTube, you know, 2001, 2002, uh, YouTube wasn't really around then. Um, streaming was this very new thing. And that was back in the day when, um, you know, you had to download like real player and all these weird software to be able to stream video. I, I don't know, you guys may be too young for, for that, but it, it was a pain. So at that time it was, you know, DVDs and, uh, and physical media. But then as the internet got faster, more people got broadband, you saw, oh, well you can distribute your video uh, through the internet. You don't need to print physical media. So yeah, that's where it came from was let, let's make ads for ourselves and, and create their own products. Man, I think that's, uh, I think that's cool that just in general, you took that chance um, to just go out there, try something new. And you know, it's helped you now, obviously, as you said, you've gotten a lot of your tenants in commercial real estate, uh, because of your knowledge behind technology and, and how the internet works, which is extremely crucial. Um, before I get into a few other things here, I do just want to know still. So coming out of college, you work for this investment advisor. Um, you, you mentioned to me that you pretty much learned um, through that uh, variety of ways of how people, you know, not only get wealthy, but maintain wealth, which is extremely important. Then you went off into this um, creative venture, I'd like to call it, with your brother. And then you ended up in law school, Washington University in St. Louis. Um, what was it that really made you want to go into law school? Well, like I said said earlier, you know, I am kind of a uh, kind of an academic bookish person. I like I like school. I like book I learning <laughs> and all that. Um, yeah. Um, so you know, I was I was looking. Okay, what what do I want to do now? Um, oh, very wealthy nerds. A very wealthy one. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not a tech nerd in that way. Um, I, I sort of stopped with uh, stopped with calculus uh, on on the math side. Um, but yeah, law school. You know, a lot of lawyers in my family. You know, my my grandfather, my uncle, my stepdad, and I just saw that as like a, a next natural progression um, with learning and and with business. And it was it was good going there with a little bit of real world experience as well. Um, it helped me a lot through the process. Um, and you know, afterwards, then obviously it it gave me, okay, how how do I go on from here? What do I do with this? I had a better idea of what what I wanted to do with my law degree, having had a few years of uh, of actual work experience. Yeah, man, that's um, that that that's really that's really interesting, man. And with your law degree, you had a pretty interesting case here, um, which I'm still trying to wrap my head around. <laughs> I read it, I read it, and um, you know, it's not necessarily easy to read law if you don't, you know, know all of the terminology. But from what I got from it, 
this is BP versus Advanced Cleaning Technologies. And BP happened to, uh, happened to order three car washing systems from PDQ Manufacturing, right? Who is the exclusive distributor for, um, or Advanced Cleaning Technologies is the exclusive distributor for them. Now, BP paid the substantial amount of money, about between like $400,000 and like $37,000. And uh, they called ACT for the delivery and installation. And one out of those three car wash systems were never delivered to them. I guess what I want to know about this case is where does defamation even come into play? First and foremost. It's the Supreme Court thing, too. It was a big case. Yeah. So, wow, you actually re- you actually read a case. Uh, you actually read the case. That's that's uh, right. So, yeah, the, the case. The interesting part is that my client was accused of stealing a car wash, which the first thing everybody says is, well, how, how do you steal a car wash? So that, that's where the defamation came in is they went and they said um, that this guy who is a distributor of car washes stole a car wash. Now, one of the things you're going to find out is. Every industry, no matter how obscure, how niche, has its own ecosystem, um, own trade magazines and everything. So once they accused him of stealing a car wash, like everybody in that car wash industry is like, oh, he's a crook, he's a thief, everything. So that's where the defamation came in is they basically destroyed his reputation, destroyed his business and everything else. Um, And then it... uh, you know, ended up going to the Supreme Court. Most of my cases I can't talk about because they all settle and all have confidentiality. Only about 1% actually go all the way to trial, go all the way to appeal, have a decision rendered. A lot of times, even on appeal, they'll get settled. Um, so a lot of like my real estate cases and, and business litigation cases, like they, you know, you go through a whole process of discovery and and doing depositions and all the pretrial work. Um, and then you end up settling, uh, you know, either during that process or sometimes literally you do settle on the courthouse steps. I've had cases that settled um, uh, after the first witness. It'd be one, one witness talk, and then you go back in the room, settle the case. Um, but this is one of the few that, that went all the way. Hey, Jeremy, what is that lawyer life like? I mean, it's got to be stressful. You got to do a lot of work. Um, I know a couple of lawyers and they're strict, you know, ABC down the line. And it seems like a tough, tough gig. It, it is. And there's really sort of two different kinds of um, sort of personality types in law. You've got your transactional law, which is uh, your contracts. And that's a more, um, how, should I, how, how should I describe these guys? A little more sedate. Um, you're sitting in your office by yourself. You're not going to court, and you're basically looking at deals and and saying what can go wrong and how do I protect my client. Um, it's it's kind of negative in a sense because you're always looking at what the downside is. So you know, entrepreneurs are always looking at the upside. What can go right? And in transactional law, you're really looking at what can go wrong. Your client who's typically an entrepreneur, and I worked with a lot of them, they are like eternal optimists. They always um, are looking at what can go well. And the transactional guys are all about what can go wrong and how do I protect. Litigation's a little different. Litigation is, is very stressful. It's also high conflict. You know, you're always fighting. You're always fighting with the other side. Um, so if you're someone who doesn't like conflict, you're not going to like litigation. Um, and you're going to want you're going to want to leave it. Um, so some people uh, I'm a very big believer in, in personality types and matching what you do as your profession to your personality types. Yes, you can learn things and change, but everybody also has sort of like core personality types. And, you know, some people don't like conflict. You always got to have some level of conflict, but some people love conflict. Like they just thrive on it and they're great for things like uh, litigation. Other people, uh, they, they, they don't want to have conflict. They want things to get along and there's places where they should be in, you know, they should be in customer service. They should be in, in, um, uh, sales, things like that. So yeah, I'm very big believer in learning your personality and then matching what you do to your personality type. 
Yeah, hey, I, uh, me, me and Nick are just over here cracking up. Um, e- even though I love customer service and sales, uh, I just like Nick, we both, we, it's not that we love conflict, but we confront conflict if it ever arises. And um, I think it's a great trait to have. But as you said, not, not everyone has that personality type. Um, I just want to know here, Jeremy. Hold uh, on, hold on, make a point. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm a really big believer in solving the problems. Don't let those things fester because they get way bigger. And a lot of the times it's built up in your head. It's going to be so scary confronting someone or handling some. But once you do it, it's so much better because a lot of problems are just communication issues. And you get in the same perspective that it's, it's not a big deal. So that's that's my point on the whole confrontation. What are you going to say, Heem? Oh, no, I think and I think that was a great point, which you just made right there. It's kind of where I was getting to um, just in communication, because obviously you uh, being one of the owners of so many um, of so many uh, different apartments and uh, your commercial real estate, uh, you have to communicate amongst a large amount of people. Right. You have to cover a lot of ground there. Do you. um? Do you like hold a lot of meetings um, in person, Skype? How do you how do you make sure that the communication flow is just smooth, you know, amongst everyone that you're working with? I think you pick the medium to what needs to be done. And, uh, you know, if you pick the medium to the message, there's some some things that have to be done in person. They have to be done even on site. You have to show them, hey, the way this uh, the, the way this is constructed is wrong. The way uh, where you put this air conditioning uh, uh, unit is wrong. Other things need to be in writing, um, both to protect yourself, to create a record, um, because you can uh, sometimes people communicate better in writing and, and you can just get your, your whole story out without having to, you know, have interruptions and things. And then other uh, encounters, you know, are best you know, by the phone. So really, you got to match your communication method to the outcome that you want. You, you can't just decide, well, I want to do everything by email. Well, not everything can be done by email. Conversely, not everything should be done in person. Some things, you know, you need to create a, a written record. That's great. That's great. Managing all that, deal with so many different people, your communication skills and understanding them. It's got to be a huge priority. Man, Jeremy, uh, this has been great. The knowledge on as we kind of wrap this up, I'd love to get your thoughts on the current real estate market. We talked about it being at a pretty big high. Do you think there's a correction? Do you see similar things to the, the recession in 08? And how should people, you know, be prepared for what could come? So we're definitely at a high. That doesn't mean that we're at a peak. It doesn't mean there's going to be another crash, but we're definitely at a high. So there's different skills that and and traits that are rewarded at different times in the cycle so when you're in a down when you're at the bottom of a down cycle 2010 2011 what's going to be rewarded are people who are bold and aggressive and buy stuff okay just use i'll tell you a story about a guy who who i had lunch with recently he graduated from college in 2011 and he wanted to get into real estate he went and he signed up for graduate school and took out $100,000 in loans, didn't go to school, used that money to start buying homes and renting them out and uh, renovating and flipping them and used that to pay back his loans. And now he's got like 40 houses throughout St. Louis. That's the kind of bold, aggressive, sort of reckless move, right? That's rewarded when you're coming out of a down cycle. When you're at, the, at a peak, what's gonna be rewarded now? The prices are really high. You've gotta make your money in the management of the property. You've got to do what they call forced appreciation in, uh, in commercial real estate, which is to increase the profitability of your property by either increasing income or decreasing expenses. And what's great about commercial real estate is that it's not just a passive investment, it's also a business. And it's a business where what you do can increase the value of your investment. So. An investment, you buy Tesla stock, okay? There's nothing you can do to make that stock go up, right? You, you can't call up the factory and be like, hey, change this car around, you'll sell more units. In a, uh, in a commercial real estate though, there's things you can do to increase uh, your revenue. So one of the things I did um, about uh, a year into 
taking over this last property was they had a parking garage with over uh, 275 parkers. They were charging uh, $53 a month for parking. I took a look at that and I said, you guys are way below market. Um, let's raise it to 75, 22 bucks a month. doesn't sound like a lot. It doesn't sound like that makes a big deal. Um, but when you take $22 a month, right. And you multiply that by 275, let's just pull out some math here. 275 spaces times $22 a month times 12 months. That's $72,000 a year. You guys can check my math afterwards, but that's about 70,000 a year. Okay. That's fine. What does that mean for the value of the property? Commercial property is valued on what's called a, by cap rates. And what that means is there's a ratio between the income of a property and what that property is worth. So in stocks, you've got something called a PE ratio. You guys are probably familiar with that. Real estate, it's a little different. It's called a cap rate. So it's basically, it's a percentage of the value of the property equals the operating income. So cap rates right now are around five, um, sort of nationwide here in St. Louis. We're not as good of a market. Our cap rates are a little lower, maybe like seven. So what that means is if you invested a million dollars in a property at a cap rate of seven, you should make about 70,000 a year in operating income. So it's a percentage. So you can do that math in reverse. You say, okay, so if I increase the value of my property by 70,000, or if I increase the operating income of my company by 70,000, what does that do to the value of the property? In this case, it increased the, the value of the property by about a million dollars. So by raising parking by 22 bucks a month, that increased the value of the property by a million dollars. Did that again another couple of years later, I noticed the, uh, the way the parking lot was laid out, the way it was striped was inefficient. So I had the parking lot restriped. It cost less than $10,000 to draw up a plan, get an architect to sign off and have a company come in and restripe the parking lot. Was able to add 55 spaces to that parking lot. At that time, I had raised the, the rate again to 115 dollars a month, uh, which was, which is still in market in, in downtown St. Louis. So 50 spaces times 115 a month times 12 months, uh, again, is, uh, is in that $70,000 range. So again, that adds another million to the value of the property. So that's the kind of things you can do with a property to increase value that you just can't do with a, a passive investment like a stock. You can't do it with a, a REIT. Um, you can't do it with a, you know, a CD or something like that. So those are the kind of things that in a high market you've got to do because a lot of the appreciation has already happened, right? Just the natural appreciation of coming out of a depression has already happened. You've got to come in here and figure out ways to, hey, how do I increase the operating income of this property by increasing in uh, revenue or decreasing expenses? Man, Jeremy, I I'm so happy you're just uh, you're just sharing all this knowledge with us. You're allowing us to pick your brain, man. You are one intelligent guy, and very creative. And you look for the little creaks in the cracks, right, in the cement on where you can fill in a little something extra to make something more valuable. And I think that's really important to note here because um, at the very beginning, you mentioned that when your grandfather got out of World War II, that's when he began investing in real estate, you know? So some people may hear that and be like, oh, well, he comes from a real estate family. All right, some people I know that know Nick will be like, like some of our old teammates, Rooney, oh, you come from real estate, man. Like you're, you got money, yada, yada, but you're out here working. Both of you guys, I'm speaking to both of you mm -hmm. right now. You guys are out here really putting in work. It's one thing, you know, anyone, I could give anyone $100,000, but if I gave them $100,000 and that's it, if they don't know how to maintain it, if they don't know how to grow it, all I did was give them $100,000, they're going to go blow it and it meant absolutely nothing to them. Uh, but you know how to essentially make $100,000, 
You know how to put in that work. And and what has that been like coming from a, a family of real estate? What has it been like not only to maintain it, but to consistently elevate it? What What is it that you do day in and day out? Some of your rituals that you've done over the years to get you to keep growing? Well, the first thing I do, well, I should say I try to do, I, I don't do it every day. And that's just a lack of discipline sometimes is to always plan out the next day, the night before. Um, that's so important because you will end up, especially as you have more things going on, you'll end up in reaction mode all the time. It's just always people calling you with problems, people calling you with issues. And if you don't set up the night before, hey, here's what I need to get accomplished tomorrow, um, you will always be sidetracked by distractions. So you got to set up like what you want to do. And then you just, there's no, how should I say this? There is so far you can get in life with just diligence and working hard. I know a lot of people talk about, well, work smart, not hard. You work hard. My grandfather was an extremely smart guy. Brilliant. I mean, when he was in his late 80s, this guy could read a 20-page document and tell you what was on the last sentence of page 14 in his late 80s. But guess what? He still had to work hard. He still was working six days a week at 90 years old. Um, there's no substitute for diligence. Um, and it's just, I know it's it's not what some people want to hear, but it's it's the truth. I've seen people go really far in life, really far in business with just always thinking about what needs to happen next and then doing it. And you don't need to be super smart but you do need to keep your eye on the ball and just just keep keep moving forward and and doing what needs to be done every single day. That's that's great, Jeremy, for sure. Action, freaking, just do it. And I like uh, your whole to do thing the night before. It's amazing how that that little to do list. Just you wake up in the morning, boom, knock it out. Um, actually, our boy Scott Adams is coming up with a new. Uh, it's called a uh, your your done list. He just talked about one of his periscopes about things you've done so it's more positive. So you, you put on no cards and you check it out. It's pretty interesting. I'll have to get more into it. But to-do lists are huge. You write that stuff down in the morning. Boom, boom, boom. You're done by the afternoon. You can work on the next day. I love to-do lists. But, hey, Jeremy, he brought up a good point about you dropping you know, all this knowledge for us. And, and we really appreciate it. And the kind of questions I want to end on are why – did you come on this podcast and do this? And then obviously to, to rehash your life and, and your journey and how successful you've been. Um, some really good advice, quotes, or books that you would recommend to our listeners to, to kind of get where you're at. Well, I would say, you know, the, why I called uh, Brahim back was really because of, uh, of my wife's recommendation. She's got a great uh, sense of people. Um, of knowing if somebody, uh, you know, is of good character, is trustworthy, whatever. Um, you know, she is like a human lie detector. So it's real good, Brahim, that she she told me about you and, and spoke so highly of you. So I said, oh, well, I got to talk to this guy. Um, you know, one of the things I'm looking at doing next uh, in life is starting to talk about, <clears throat> talk about real estate, talk about, uh, Sort of like I said, the the nuts and bolts and nitty gritty parts of it. Um, so wanted to come on this podcast also just to talk about it, see see how I did, you know, listen back to it. I can already tell there's a lot of places where I need to improve on on this. So you know, sort of studying the tapes and uh, and trying to get better, and then eventually doing you know my my own show uh, on real estate. So that was the other the other part of coming on here to really. Uh, I hope I gave you guys a, a decent uh, a decent experience. Uh, I know there's a lot of things that I could do better. And, and that's, again, that's part of it is look at what you did. Be be proud of what you did, but then also recognize the improvements and and just keep building. And, and over time, you'll, you'll get real good at something. I mean, you guys are athletes. You you know about that. Right. You know that you, you don't start out perfect. It, it takes practice. Well, hold on, Jerry. You made a great point, and I bet you're – your brother with his YouTube channel can totally relate because 
with us too, this podcast, you start out crappy, but that's the only way you learn from this thing. You got to freaking do it. You got to put something out there and, and then go with it and then you get better at it. That's how everyone started. So I freaking, I, I love that point. And I think we're going to have a, a connection here in the future because we're doing something really similar with a, a business back home involving real estate. So it's crazy how the world works, how, how we manifest, but just to kind of, you know, to finish it off, you, you dropped a lot of very good wisdom. Can you, can you hit us with those books, uh, some quotes, and anything else you'd like to share and give to the, the listener? Um, I would say that something that I'm reading a lot about right now is on, uh, on personality types. And uh, I would recommend uh, Jordan Peterson's series on personality types, not necessarily his political stuff, um, sort of take that or leave that. Um, but he's got a whole series of lectures on personality types. And it really helped me not just understand myself, but it helped me understand the people around me and how to get the best out of, uh, out of employees, how to get the best out of, um, you know, interactions with, with vendors and tenants and everybody else to understand different personality types and, and how they relate to the world and how you can best position whatever you're trying to do um, to meet with their personality type. So yeah, they, the, the whole series of lectures are on YouTube. It's like 20 hours worth. Um, but it really, it really gives you a good insight into how people work. Um, so yeah, that's something that I would probably recommend that, that people take a look at. You know, I, I love Jordan Peterson. It, it's funny that Johnny, we had the neuroscience guy, Washington, D.C., who talked about Jordan Peterson being a, a big influence in his life. So something's telling us to go, let's go, which I have, but he's, uh, he's legit. Ah, here we go. That was really weird right there at the end. Microphone is muted. But, um, I really like what you just said right there, man, in regards to personality types, because um, especially ever since I've gotten this job at LA Fitness, and this is like my first job where I'm really in sales, you know, uh, eventually, uh, initially, the way I got the job was being me. That's how I got the job, right? Uh, but then my first day, I faced some adversity, as we all do. And I started to question myself if is this really for me? Are, are people judging me because of how I look or what my name is? Yada, yada. I was all in my head, Jeremy. Let me tell you, this was my first day on July 30th. I was all in my head. And then um, I had a conversation with my mom when I, when I came back home. And it, it really just kind of brought me back down and said, you know what? Like, Brahim Cruz, you're the one who got this job. So go and be you. And I'm telling you, ever since July 31st, I have been myself at work every single day. Uh, I, I don't consider myself a salesman. Uh, some people will be like, "Hey, well, you're you know you're you're in sales, man." I get. I'm like, don't 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 call me that, man, because I really don't feel like I'm in sales here. And and we're talking about a gym membership now. Where this isn't <laughs> this isn't real estate. This isn't a car. You know, we're talking about a gym membership. But what I what I'm really getting to here is personality type. And now that I've been promoted to an assistant general manager, it's not just my job to manage myself, it's my job to manage those around me and those, um, you know, yeah, around me, not underneath me, those around me. And it's, I'm constantly trying to bring the best version of themselves out of them because I really believe that it's a lot easier to be the best you than, for instance, the best Grant Cardone. His name keeps coming up on this show. <laughs> But I have a guy at work who always comes to me like, well, Cardone says to do it like this. And if you listen to his podcast, this is how he goes about it. And I'm just like, brother, let me tell you something, man. He's great. He, see, he seems to have a lot of success, but you're not him. You're not Jordan Belfort. And if you keep trying to say exactly what these guys say and do what they do it's gonna come off as just ingenuine man and just be you brother like you are who you are accept that and own that and i know me being me is the reason why i'm having this conversation with you right now you know yeah a hundred percent i mean just those examples you know uh cardone and guys like peter um uh, uh belfort you know those guys are extreme extroverts like off the chart off the end of the bell curve extroverts if you're not 
if you're not that kind of extroverted person, there's no way you can do what what they do. And you know, if, if you start watching Jordan Peterson and the personality types, they're also very low in what's called neuroticism, which is basically fear. Those guys have no fear, right? Those guys have no fear of embarrassing themselves, <clears throat> no fear of uh, of looking silly or doing silly stuff. Again, most people aren't like that. You you can't be them, and you don't want to be them because. The world already has them. They don't need another one. They need whatever you are, you know, whatever your combination of of gifts and and experiences are. The the world needs that. So um, there is, I mean, actually, Cardone does have in some of his videos, he does have really good information on you know real estate math and stuff. I mean, his his math is is correct, um, but most people can't do the act that he does. Right. The, the act that he does. Same thing with a guy like a, like a Jordan Belfort. So yeah, you're, you're right. You, you got to be yourself, uh, the best version of yourself, because we all have to improve. Um, when you're older, you're going to look back and be like, I can't believe I was like that when I was younger. I know that in 10 years from now, I'm going to look back the way I am now and be like, oh, I can't believe I did that. Um, and that that's but that's what it's about, right? It's about it's about getting better, not denigrating your past self, but just understanding that uh, you're always improving uh, over time. Uh, I liked sports and athletics analogies. Um, you know, like I said, I did Brazilian, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. You spend the beginning getting tapped out all the time, getting tapped out by girls, getting tapped out by people a lot smaller than you, but then you practice and you get better. And before you know it, you're you're beating up people half your uh, half your age and and twice your size, and uh, that's the way it is in business. That's the way it'll be um, in everything else. So that's what I would encourage you guys to do. I'll tell you what. One thing you won't regret in ten years is coming on the podcast, Jeremy. Unreal job you did. I I'm so uh, grateful. Team's got team and team to make this thing happen and. Man, appreciate you coming on. We hope we can connect and, and network here in the future, not just with ourselves, but our listeners too. We're trying to build a community here and make win-win relationships, help each other out. So, Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on. And it, it was wonderful to meet you. And you're a very, very smart, successful man. Thank you. Hey, it was great meeting you guys. Um, uh, just really glad to be on the show. And, and thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, thank you again. I'm just going to say that. And I'm looking forward to just continuing to learn from you, Jeremy. You're a very intelligent guy. Again, thanks for everything that you brought to our show. And when you listen back on this, I'm sure you didn't do anywhere near as bad as you might think you have done, man. You did a great job. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yeah, you guys have uh, something good going here. So uh, so uh, I wish you guys a whole lot of luck and uh, and thanks for the opportunity.